Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 25, Encino Man. I'm, I'm sorry, the neutral zone. <laughs> <laughs> And H Dog is joining us once again for this discussion about the conclusion of season one. Hello, gentlemen. We're so excited. I'm so excited anyway because this means we're we're done. We're done with season one. This is uh, it doesn't get better for a while. It disagree, <laughs> but we'll we'll have plenty of episodes to talk about that. I, yeah, I would also disagree with that. I mean, going from season one to season two, there is a market improvement. Yes. It's not where you want to be okay, yet, on average, but it ain't sure, season sure. one. Sure, yeah. on average, it costs the whole season, but yeah, yeah, we're not out of the out of the pits yet. No, but there is, um, you know, it, it's it's difficult, I would say, in some spots when you're going through season one to see that light at the end of the tunnel. It's there, but it's a big tunnel, and the light is very dim. Uh, season two, you're not out of that tunnel yet, but that light gets much much brighter. Um, but but we're not here to talk about season two just yet. We're here to talk about this send off of uh, of season one in in a strange episode. I think for a lot of people who are Star Trek fans, uh, modern Star Trek fans, because um, this is still a couple of years before the Star Trek convention of leaving a season with a cliffhanger and then picking up that cliffhanger in the next season kicks off. This is this mm-hmm. is a tidy little episode. It's wrapped up and it's done. Um, so there's there's no unresolved business as we go into season two. Well, and it starts with exciting uh, exciting news that Picard is at a conference, right? <laughs> an emergency <laughs> conference. I made a note of that. It's uh, which I didn't think there was such a thing as an emergency conference. I mean, like that's just that's a meeting, right? Like that's uh, yeah. the terminology really struck me kind of strange because conference is by definition kind of laid back. But I was like, an emergency conference. Well. Um, and they're basically just hanging out in space. And, um, the, one of the things that I wrote that was kind of weird on this was, um, you know, an, an exploration vessel is not at all that interested in exploring something that's literally sitting right off their bow. Yeah. yeah I yeah. made that same note. It, it's just so bizarre. I mean, here it is yeah. a literal relic from the past and, you know, to listen to Riker, he just yeah. couldn't care less and they have Riker's time to spare. Mm-hmm. Riker is so bad in this episode. It's like, eh, it's just garbage. And Data's like, oh, it could be interesting. Riker's like, you do what you want. Yeah. Why don't you go check out the garbage, dummy? You know, yeah. Would they not even scan it and notice that, like, it's using power? Like, it has power. It has life support, at least, you know, in a very technical sense. Why? Why not look at it? They're they're very. I mean, so much so that they've even like projected out the end for this satellite, right? Like it's going to fly into this like pulsar or something and just get vaporized. And uh, I think even Worf was more concerned about the satellite than Riker was because like, well, I could adjust its heading, and he's like, no, it's trash. Let let yeah. it go into the trash with all the rest of the trash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but throw it uh, into the sun. <laughs> exactly the Superman treatment, right? Gather up all the nukes and throw them into the sun. Um, but then uh, they beam over to the ship, and um, I thought it was really interesting to lead with this plot with the discovery on on the uh, I guess I said ship, the satellite, the bot bay, yeah, the botany bay. Yes, very. <laughs> this whole episode is very space seed uh, for those of you uh, who are longtime Trek fans. Um, but but it was kind of a cool place to start because I thought this element of the episode works when they discover the people from the past, right? Like, yeah, I, I kind of liked this character beat a little bit because they've got they've got three people that they that they're unfrozen caveman lawyer uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they bring him back to the ship. The thing that I wrote down about this was um, so on the satellite, they find the people. Data's like, we got to get him out of here. And Riker's like, whatever, just do it fast. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> doesn't care, care about the people. <laughs> yep. But the thing that, that I that jumped out at me immediately was like, uh, Picard's having a bad day because he comes back from an emergency conference and, he f- and nobody has told him anything. Like he finds out, A, that these people came aboard his ship and that, B, Beverly's just like, well, I don't know what else to do with him, so I brought him back to life. He's like, you did what? It's it's kind of a comedic scene. I mean, he just comes in and you you see that he's completely blindsided by everything. She's like, I, I 
unfroze the people that Data brought over. He's like, I, I wasn't aware of that. She's like, oh yeah, the people. And he's just like glazed over. I thought he handled it very cool because, uh, you know, an appropriate reaction would be like, what are you people doing? Like, I leave for five yeah, minutes yeah, to an right. emergency conference and you guys go nuts. It feels very much like, you know, your kids like bring home a pet dog or something, a stray dog. <laughs> like, can we keep it? Can we keep these strange humans we found on a satellite? <laughs> we'll feed them every day. We promise. And they, uh, there was another line that really struck me uh, as we get going into this episode, which was, does does Picard say, I, I, I caught it just kind of out of the corner. I was doing a couple of things while I was rewatching it again, but it, it, it hit me where he said um, something to the effect of like, well, now we have to treat them like people or something like that because they're... Yeah. <laughs> Because they're unfrozen. I was like, wouldn't you have to treat them like people before? <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, he seems very un-Picard-like um, through the beginning portion of this episode. He, yeah, he just seems so callous. Mm-hmm. You know, they find these people, and they're humans, no less, and he just, you know, he's just irritated. And granted, you know, he's had this emergency conference, and we don't know the implications of that yet. But, you know, normally they hem and haw over how to apply the Prime Directive to alien species. And he's literally just kind of, almost like Riker, just kind of, you know, annoyed that they've come across, you know, humans in deep space from the past, no less. It's just like all of the the awe and wonder of this discovery, like, couldn't be more downplayed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, It's a really strange reaction, and I don't... That was the part that I was trying to figure out where they were going with it. It's like, are they trying to make a point about humanity's relationship with its past? Are they trying, like, I couldn't really pull any, oh. like, deep threads out of it, but it I don't know. It feels like they're trying to make that that link to, you know, the present um, mm-hmm. to say, well, this is what everybody knows. This is the 80s. Yeah. Um, and the future is different in ways that are hard for future people to just say like Worf and Data aren't just going to be standing there and say like hey isn't it cool how we don't have money like that doesn't come up organically uh, unless you introduce someone who doesn't know that right? Uh, which you could introduce an alien species right you could very easily do this with an alien species Um, or even just you know they go to 20th century planet (laughs) 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 which I think they that's another Futurama like thing they could easily do yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) It's 20th century. Yeah, I mean, this one has Futurama written all over it. I mean, <laughs> it's, um, I did put, I, I did write this down and, and Ed, I know, uh, or sorry, H Doug, uh, I know, um, when, when you were sending me a couple of notes before the show, um, you had kind of said that this was, how would you phrase it? Like a thesis statement for the, yeah, I mean, the, just, I think it really comes to a head when uh, one of the unfrozen humans, Offenhouse, who's obsessed with, you know, finding out about his, how his stocks have done over the last 300 years and all, all this, that, and the next thing he wants to get a hold of his lawyer, and Picard basically tells him, you know, in a few statements that, you know, we've done away with all that stuff, you know, people aren't obsessed with the accumulation of things anymore, we don't need money, and, and through his, you know, quick... Uh, interpretation for Offenhouse of where humanity is now, to me, it really seemed like a thesis statement of, you know, the the progress that humans have made from the vantage point of these humans from the 1980s. And an addition to that note that I have in my notes here is that it kind of bookends back to the pilot episode where they're on trial with Q and he charges that humans are a child race. That basically they haven't evolved. And yet, here at the end of this first season, you have Picard in, you know, just a few lines, obviously laying it out for Offenhouse, but it's really kind of to the, the audience as well as, no, this is where humanity is going to be in 300 years. We've done away with poverty, with need, with want, all of these things. So, yeah, thesis statement is kind of how I would say that. Ironically, I feel like this, the very last episode in the first season of Star Trek, does more than any other episode prior to establish the 24th century um, as a period setting, how it's different from the original Star Trek, and how it's different from today's society. Um, because I feel like you're right. I feel like some of those those beats that you can pull that are, are similar from... 
um, encounter at Farpoint, I feel like they were going for the same thing that they were trying to establish. Like, no, humanity has advanced. Yep. But the way in which they're doing it um, in this episode feels much more natural and much more organic. And I think it's because you don't have the the Q factor, which is, you know, a fantastical godlike being. And you don't have this weird mystery on this kind of backwater um, outpost place happening. Like here, this those notes I feel like come through very strongly like this is what society is like in the 24th century this is how radically different it is see look at these people who are from current day quote unquote and and I thought it did a nice job of, of contrasting that and actually kind of laying out what <clears throat> what society is like in Star Trek the next generation and beyond no, I found myself chuckling too um, when they're in um, the medical facility and they're you know waking these people up yeah so picard kind of makes an offhand comment to beverly she's like oh you know he had all these he, smoking and drugs and all this stuff and he's like boy he must have hated life and right when he uttered that i just in my mind had this flashback to like the just say no of the 1980s <laughs> you know anti-drug i was like wow i mean just that writing of this script was very um throwback to the 80s call out to the audience that would have been watching that episode in 1988 yeah see kids this is what happens when you do them drugs watch out you wake up 300 years later and <laughs> get to replicate guitars <laughs> <laughs> drugs are awesome everybody do drugs <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um i uh, before we get into the the other part of the episode the more the the part of the episode which i think is sub more substantial for the series as a whole um, dealing with the Romulans and their reintroduction. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out about this episode, because it feels like it's important to point out whenever it happens, um, Troy, I think, is used well here uh, again in this episode. She's actually useful. <laughs> um, so much so that Picard actually says it. He actually says, thank you, Counselor, that was very useful. And I wrote in response to that, like, unlike usual, am I right? Am I right? <laughs> But uh, she's working up psych profiles of the of the Romulans based off of what little data that they have. She's put to work dealing with damaged people who are out of time. Um, she's actually literally counseling. Um, I forget her name. Um, the 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 woman who died of the brain embolism. Um, but she's actually helping her like look up a family tree and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, she's being a counselor and she's being a psychologist and and using those parts of her her identity and doing it well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I still kind of wonder, <laughs> I did actually have this though too. I got to thinking about this where this is a rare instance where we get to see her being a counselor. We don't get to see her doing that much because she's on a ship filled with 24th century perfect people. So why the hell do they have a counselor on that ship? Like it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, but anyway. 20th well, my century part. problems, yo. Yeah. My favorite part was when she, the, the woman um, was asking about, like, my family, you know, what happened to them? Do I have any ancestors or things like that? And Troy sits her down and says, we have a thing called Google. Yep. Yep. Although, uh, and, and I want to point this out, she used the 24th century Google uh, well after they had a conversation about how we will not be making any transmissions back to Starfleet. And I'm like, they do not have her family's family tree on that ship just in the <laughs> database hanging out. So she's like doing deep data pulls from, you know, subspace beacon number 294 uh, and doing a wideband transmission so all the Romulans can find them. So good job, counselor. Like that was the part where I was like, wait, wait a minute. Uh, but that was the Star Trek nerd in me going like, you see, she would have to use the communications equipment to uh, look up that information. But, uh, you know, how else is she going to have that nice moment, I guess? Well, and, and there's a, a bigger question with the Romulans that, I mean, maybe we save it till later, but um, they have cloaking technology and they have really good cloaking technology. They could have been like around the Enterprise the whole time. Yeah. And realistically, they could just be like orbiting the moon anytime <laughs> they want. Just checking out Earth, like yeah. just sitting there. True. It's, it's so they, they paint a picture that's odd here at the end with the Romulans and kind of odd throughout, um, maybe to kind of shift things through the Romulans. Are you trying to say, they, Paul, that the Romulans can see me right now? <laughs> yes. Time to but, put on my duranium foil hat. 
Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that they, they keep pushing, they have no intel for 50 years and all of that, but then they kind of get weird intel from somewhere, and it's like, well, that backstory feels really kind of half-written at the moment. And I don't know how well it syncs up with what I kind of think of with the Romulans later in in the series, right? Uh, I mean, the, so they do... So yeah, let's talk about the Romulans because that's that's the most important part about this episode. Um, this episode is also... Uh, we've kind of talked about riffs off of, of other things in Trek. It's also very clearly a riff on the, the original series episode, The Balance of, of Power, or The Balance mm-hmm. of balance of Terror. Sorry, Balance of Terror. Because um, it starts with hunting for Romulans after star bases have exploded. Um, so it's the same... Mm-hmm same literal plot device um i do believe that it is established within star trek lore and this episode is primarily the place where it's established that um the tomed incident i think is what they call it um it was something like that yeah yeah yeah, was actually the last major encounter with the romulans before this period of of quiet that is actually a thing that they respect within the Star Trek universe. And pl- and what's weird about this episode is twofold. Um, one, that they are so clear about the time. It was about 50 years, you know, prior. But they're also, this is one of the few episodes that makes a direct year call out, if you guys remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah. They actually name the year as 2364 or 2364. Um, and given that the next generation is 80 plus years after the time of Kirk that pegs this Tomed incident as something that's not actually, it would not have happened in any like existing canon within Star Trek. It would have been after Star Trek, the original series era television and movies, but well before Next Generation. And, you know, obviously by extension then since um, uh, Star Trek Enterprise was a prequel, it's uh, nowhere near that. So um I think it was clever of them to tuck that into the history that happened between Kirk and Picard so that they could say this thing Mm -hmm. happened um, and then let it be out there and then have this dramatic reintroduction of of the Romulans. Because really, if you think about it, this is kind of a Romulan reboot, right? Like this is this is how the first time we see them. Um, Well, and they also in this episode um, in a scene that I actually didn't like, but. Um, they they call out the attack on the Kittimer station Kittimer. as well, which yeah. is yep. Worf's origin in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have happened after the events of uh, Star Trek VI, I believe. Yes. The only the only problem that I had with that was, um, I believe the way it's written, Worf says something about they attacked us when we were supposed to be when they were supposed to be our allies. Yeah, something like that. Which is a weird kind of callback to the original series, but the. Um, the Klingon-Romulan alliance would have fallen apart well before the attack on Kittimer. Um, right. So that's... Uh, because that actually later in, in the plot to Worf's backstory, it's revealed that um, they were enemies of the Empire, and that's the whole basis for Worf's father's, um, you know, backstory and his yep. and, and Worf's plot threads that'll play in much, much later. So that was kind of... It's it's one of those season one-isms where you're like, ooh, hopefully nobody notices that one. Uh, I did, and I was like, <laughs> eh, that's too bad. Um, but yeah, the, the, things, the things that I think work in this are the reveal of the Romulans, um, particularly because um, I felt like the reveal of their ship was actually really a huge deal. That's the first time we have seen a... It's a Diedrich's class warbird, um, which is the the backbone of the of the Romulan Navy, basically. Um, and this is the first time any any of the cast have seen it. This is the first time anybody from the Federation has seen it, and it's the first time we, as the audience, have seen it. And it's a really cool reveal, I think. Um, and yeah. and a and a a real good foreshadowing of of what we're going to see with with the Romulans um, because they're. They also, uh, in in Picard and Troy talking, they also do a nice job of framing uh, the counter punches, right? The idea of move and counter move, and that's that's how Romulans work. And that is, again, a thread that they'll tap over and over and over again in Romulan episodes in Next Generation. 
what I thought about was weird about the Romulans was that uh, Gul Dukat is uh, dressed up as a Romulan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is actually the second time that we'll see the, or this is the second time in this season that we've seen Mark Alamo. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was in, what other episode was he in? I'm trying to remember. He was in uh, Heavy He costume. was one of the bear people. Yeah, he was the bear people. In Lonely Among Us, is that what it was? Yep. Um, yeah, yep. So... This is the first time that, that uh, not the first time that we've seen him, and still before he dons the makeup that he'll he'll really be remembered for as a, as a Cardassian. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, he's it's, so unmistakable there. Um, <laughs> it's the voice and it's his face. I mean, it's just that yeah. guy. You're gonna notice that guy anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, because he was the he was the guy sitting on the left. Um, yeah. uh, when the when the Romulans appear on screen. Going back to a point Paul made, uh, it's kind of an an interesting and, and maybe just a, a weak narrative assumption they make. But yeah, the fact that, you know, if they have cloaking technology, um, they could just wander into Federation space undetected whenever they want. And you would think they would, because even in this episode, they play up the point that, you know, they're very sneaky, they can't be trusted. Um, so to kind of hold up that narrative and say like, oh yeah, they've totally played by the rules and just, you know, kept to themselves for the last 50 years. Like, it just doesn't jive. Yeah. 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 The part the part that I don't buy the most is not the fact that there hasn't been any formal relations with them for 50 years. It's the fact that there's been no contact with them for 50 years. Because I, I have a hard time buying that both ways, right? Like, I have a hard time buying that, that the Romulans just kind of hung back and didn't do anything. But I also, on the flip side, uh, I have a hard time believing that Starfleet would just let an enemy like that slip away without keeping tabs on them. Yeah. Um. And in fact, it's established much later that, um, you know, the Federation has a pretty expansive uh, intelligence network, um, which you would think they would have to um, in, in a galaxy that's this big, right? So They do try to explain it away a little bit, though, during the exchange. Uh, Mark Alimo's character actually has a throwaway line where he says, well, we had to attend to some more pressing matters at home. And he just mm-hmm. leaves it at that. Mm-hmm. He, they never elaborate on, well, what the heck was so important back on Romulus, but... I don't know if they probably just put that in there to kind of tie that up and, you know. Yeah, to try to, try to basically make people buy it. Like, oh, okay, they had a bunch of cool stuff going on. Got it. <laughs> the um, So, I mean, there's really, aside from what we've talked about, these are the basics, right? Because they the Romulans are there, they appear, they have a, a kind of a joust and counter-joust argument, and then <clears throat> they figure out that it wasn't the Romulans. Um doing the destruction um that is if you buy their description that they also had star bases explode too but i can gather that's probably something they would confirm later the thing that i found most interesting about this is um do either of you guys know who is supposedly responsible for this because they don't well, resolve it yes yeah, so that was a question of whether or not they resolved anything or even if they were internally consistent in the conversation because it so picard says something I think it's Picard says something along the lines of like you know we should share information and uh, Caldecott uh, agrees um, and but then it seems like at the end he's like mm, no I changed my mind not really interested and then they just kind of fly away and like I it doesn't feel like they shared any information and it doesn't it certainly does not feel like they solved anything so if you have an answer I would love to hear it <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they were both basically there to... Their main objective was not to uh, hammer out an alliance, right? Their main objective no, no, was definitely to... Not. Definitely not. So they made contact, uh, or their main objective was to scout out and make contact. They did do that. Um, their other objective was to find out what was going on. And they didn't really find out what was going on, but they did find out that it wasn't the Romulans. Yeah. Um, which I think was primarily what they were there to do, right? Is it the Romulans? Yes or no. Can you make contact with them? Yes or no. Can you avoid starting a war? Yes or no. Um, you know, answer yes to all those questions. Hooray. Good day. Go home. And I think, you know, I understand Paul where you're coming from because they don't wrap it up in a nice little bow, but I also kind of liked that because I feel like that is, that's the whole point of having a Romulan episode, right? Is that nothing is ever neatly tied up with the Romulans. Um, and I think the most important thing that happened in this episode was the, uh, was, you know, Gold Ducat as a Romulan, lol, um, basically laying out the, you know, we are back, 
like, you know, basically like make no, no mistake about it. He basically kind of comes out and says that, you know, we were gone. Now we're back, you know, fade to black and then they leave. So I feel like that was the resolution to the episode was, you know, why haven't we seen any Romulans? Mm, you'd have now and it's going to be a thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a fairly short bit, though, at the end of the episode. It, it almost feels like the B-plot, um, strangely, yeah. following on this um, cryonics A-plot. Right, right. Well, and, and I think I have the answer to that, too, because, um, you know, essentially the the foe that was supposedly responsible for this was supposed to be the Borg. Um I don't I be- oh. I believe within canon it was never uh it was never established that that's who it was and it was never refuted that that's who it was. Um hmm. but this entire episode um in in doing my research uh I found this. Maurice Hurley is credited as primarily the writer for this episode. He had meant this episode to comprise part of a trilogy of episodes. So meaning the first two episodes mm. in season 2 would have continued this thread. And this would have been where the Borg were formally introduced. That's um, interesting. Yeah. The opening uh, episode of the second season would uh, basically further explore this idea. And then a possible alliance between the Federation and the Romulan Empire um, was was maybe the, the direction they were hoping this would go. Um, and essentially the reason that all this stuff didn't make it and everything got shaken up for season two is the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike. Um, yep. They just they weren't able to continue anything that long term because they couldn't get their main writing staff. And so they had to fill in with weird random scripts. And and so this basically pushed the introduction of the Borg all the way back into it did still happen within season two. Uh, a bit late. Yeah. Yeah. But it went in an episode called Q Who um, involving yeah. Q and his introduction of, of the Borg. Bummer. Yeah. That sounds like it would have been a cool arc. I feel like Maurice Hurley. Um, is he's a guy we've talked about on the podcast before. And if you know anything about the history of the show, he came in late in season one, midway through or late, and was kind of the guy who was really trying to put the show back on track. And I feel like the reason he didn't succeed was, was largely not of his own doing, but because right around the time he could have started doing some good, everything blew apart because of this Writer's Guild strike. Um, season two was pretty badly hindered by that. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it it definitely suffers. And as we were talking about uh, before the show today, I mean, even the, the final episode of that season is really kind of the uh, pinnacle of how bad things got. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we've joked about some of the worst episodes in in the series, and believe me, we've seen some of them already. Um, but the the finale for season two is probably the worst of the worst. And actually, season two has some really good <laughs> stuff in it. But the the final episode in season two is maybe the worst episode of of star trek ever i don't know we say that a lot (laughs) yeah we do yeah but uh (laughs) that one might be actually true um so i i want to um i mean really the we can keep talking about things that happen with this within this episode i've got a couple of other random notes um but i mean that's i mean you talk about framing an episode that's that's what it is it's 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 really kind of stripped down i think in a couple of in a couple of ways yeah i mean to some large degree there's not much meat on this one right um it's just kind of this happens this happens this happens and there you go Mm -hmm. and if you look at it as a uh, as an episode that was supposed to be the first part of a three-part uh story yeah yeah now it makes a lot of sense well yeah it, it feels like a lot of exposition yep without any resolution yep um very little. I mean, I guess the cryonics plot gets a little resolved, and that they're like, "Well, we'll take you back to Earth." Yeah, like we'll send you on the slow boat. One of back you has some Earth. family. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, when I watched it, it you know, it definitely feels like there's two distinct stories going on in this episode, and I have in my notes here maybe one little thread that maybe ties them together, but <laughs> I don't know how strongly. And I just have this note that says, um, when Offenhouse is talking to Picard, and Picard was talking about, you know, in, in the this century now, we've, we don't have money anymore and all that stuff. And uh, he says, it's the accumulation of things. And Offenhouse retorts by saying, well, no, it's not about accumulation of things. It's about the accumulation of power, power to control one's destiny. 
And it kind of feels like maybe there's a loose juxtaposition of that desire to control destiny and to you know know with certainty where you're going against the fact that now the Federation is in a very uncertain situation with a re-emerging nemesis in the Romulans. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the strongest you'll be able to tie those two together. Yeah. So I mean, I, again, because <laughs> when I watched it, I was like, Cal, you know, it's, it, it feels like two, two distinctly different episodes, really. Um, and like I think Paul said earlier, you know, why is the Romulans suddenly the, the B part of this episode when really that is the meat of of the episode yeah and you can imagine that if again i guess it it is if this was a three-part episode then these this cryonics plot falls away after the first episode right those people go away um and then the the romulan plot continues and and over a three-part arc they are the a plot and and then this was the exposition that set them up but without that extra stuff that makes sense that they were kind of leaning heavy on that for the start and then they just never got to finish well and the thing that i thought was a gave them a unique interesting opportunity that they wouldn't have otherwise had was uh you know Offenhouse is a real crank and i i you know he's meant to be unlikable because he's supposed to represent the worst of ourselves um they're laid out in this perfect future but the the part that i did think was nice was when he he found his way to the bridge but was able to get a good read on the romulan commander um, because he even he even went out of his way when he was talking to uh, the his cohorts, the other unfrozen people. I'm amazed that we haven't talked much about Sonny Clemens, by the way. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's just, he was great. He was like the yeah. one dude who would have just been fine. Well, like, yep. it, and it was so contrasting. He was so likable, yes. right? Yep. So likable to this so unlikable other character. Um, it's like, yeah, you know. Also, when he was on the bridge and he figured out the Romulans were doing that, isn't that Troy's job? Like, Probably. shouldn't she have been yep. like, hey, Captain, they don't really know. They're unsure of themselves. <laughs> well, she was busy doing a genealogy.com via subspace. No, she was on <sighs> Ancestry.com. Yeah, exactly. God. Mm-hmm. Oof. Um, yeah, that is that that would be traditionally Troy's job. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was kind of a nice touch to have this guy who's who's a you know, who's a Wall Street, you know, maybe Wolf of Wall Street kind of guy, and he's just sizing these Romulans up, and he's like, man, they don't have anything. Like, they don't know. They're trying to play you to see if you know. You know, don't don't buy it. Um, I thought that was kind of a nice moment. The um, To put a cap on what we were talking about with Sonny Clemens, if, if Deck 10 Forward had existed in Season 1, uh-huh. I could have seen Sonny Clemens just having open jam sessions most of the episode, right? After he got his guitar <laughs> replicated. That would have been... Well, it's the same dance. It's just a different tune. <laughs> <laughs> what did he... How about we find us a couple of low-mileage... Uh, what did he say? Okay, uh, I need to ask. Pit like Wolfies. Like, Pit low, Wolfies. <laughs> low help him make a memory. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure it's sexist, but I don't even know what, what he's getting at there. I mean, that's... <laughs> well, that's basically Riker's response, right? When Data asks, Riker's like, man, I don't even know. Yeah, I couldn't even tell you. Or when he was in uh, uh, the medical bay with Crusher. And what was he doing? Was he, like, asking for drugs? Yeah, he was... Like, l- Straight up asking for drugs. He, okay, he, that's he what used, I figured he was doing. He used the phrase, I gotta have something to pick me up in the morning and something to settle me down at night. Like, his uppers and his downers. His <laughs> Sonny's candy is what uh, what he was looking for. Yeah. But I like how he's like, you're, you're just about the prettiest doctor I've ever seen. And he gives her a little pat on the butt and walks. I was like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, I, I did write that, that it was... It, it was ironic to see them call out blatant sexism in a season that actually has been mm-hmm. filled with a lot of blatant sexism. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, see, we're so much more advanced in the 24th century. And it's like, not if you've watched some of the episodes that I've watched, because, uh, dang. Yeah. But, but yes, that was a, it was a pretty funny moment. Um, this is another Wesley Crusherless episode. Um, mm-hmm. he was actually in the screenplay, however, he just wasn't in the episode for some reason. Um, he was supposed to be in a scene where he was the one who replicated the guitar for Sonny Clemens. And uh, they were supposed to have a conversation about um, basically rock and roll, R&B, like Sonny asking him, you know, are you familiar with this? Are you familiar with this? But it was going to be a, a standard like, Wesley's a dork in the 24th century and doesn't know what music is. Um, 
but they might have scrapped it because that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> yikes. Um, this is also, yeah, we talked about this. It's the first episode to introduce the, the Diedrichs class uh, Warbird. It's also the only time in Star Trek canon where, and they don't even mention it by name, but if, if, the, if it's presumed as the Borg who did this attack, it's the only time that the Borg can be referenced attacking the Romulans. Um, hmm. So that's kind of an interesting note. But then later in Star Trek Voyager, Commander Chakotay uh, encounters uh, some liberated Borg drones in the Delta Quadrant who are Romulan. Um, so presumably they were from this incident, which is... You know, it's also callback. atypical of the Borg, like we were saying with the Romulans, just kind of hold back and not you know, press the advantage. Why would the Borg just randomly attack Federation and Romulan outposts and then just disappear again? Well, if you can imagine it as kind of like a scouting Scout mission. Ship. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's, I, you're right. It doesn't really jive a lot with what we see from the Borg in later, uh, episodes, but I can see that as since their home base is, is far away, which we'll find out, you know, more and more about, about the, the Borg. Um, I could see that as just a general, like, let's see what's out there, you know, assessment of technology and people and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, if we don't have much else, I think it's time for uh, for bests and worsts. And uh, H-Dog, since you're our uh, guest, uh, why don't you go first? Best and worst, any order that you like. Oh, man. I'll start with my bests. So I have a few bests here. Uh, first one, I don't have to elaborate much, but Sonny was one of my bests. I mean, he was just a, <laughs> a fun character, and you know, compared to the other two unfrozen cavemen lawyers, uh, he was very uh, just chill and having a good time and... I really liked his his back and forth with Data. Uh, yes. I just thought that was kind of a fun little relationship going on there. Um, my other best was Data uh, in this in this uh, episode. Uh, first of all, like we said at the very beginning of the of the podcast, you know, he was the one really embracing their mission uh, from the very first scene. He wants to get over there. He wants to see what this this thing out in space is, um, and so he really is the, the spearhead. Uh, of getting the episode going in that sense. He's like, let's go over there and find out what's going on. And he ultimately brings those three humans back. Um, so I give props to Data. And I also liked uh, how he cut down Offenhouse in one of the exchanges where he said, uh, oh, you know, I, I invested heavily in cryonics. I knew it was going to be the wave of the future. And all of a sudden Data, just very Data-esque, says, well, it was a fad that didn't, you know, go on past much past the mid 21st century and then Offenhouse just kind of has this sullen look fall <laughs> over him but I was just like you go data because he's always so matter of fact about it you know he's not trying to you know, piss anyone off or anything but he's just very data-esque I, yes. I thought that was a that was a weird scene because they did they went to great lengths to bash cryonics but at the same time it's like well it worked Yes. Yeah, yeah. Standing here. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a bunch of dumb things that those dumb people thought thought they were gonna do. Oh wait. Uh, oh, it did exactly what they said it would do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and kind yeah. of on that, you know, topic, I have a note here too that says they gave a lot of credit to the 1990s to think that because they said, mm -hmm. oh, the sleeper ship was from you know the late 20th century. Like, dude, we still don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So. Um, but then I also just liked, kind of as a final touch to the first season, the very final scene uh, before they warp off into you know, deep space. Picard basically says, this is just the beginning of our, of our mission, which I just thought was a nice way to you know, tie up the season and then kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience. Hey, you know, we're going to be back next year. So yes. um, those were kind of my bests. Um, my worsts from this episode uh, were... <sighs> A lot of it was just kind of the the intro of the Romulans, and not the Romulans themselves, but that the way the scene was handled. First of all, there was just a lot of clunky exposition because they they mentioned that Tomed incident, and then Jordy's like, "Yeah, the Tomed incident. We lost hundreds of lives." And it's just kind of this, I don't know, shoved in their line of dialogue. Like, okay, yeah, we, we get it. Yeah, and then. Um, you know, Picard is being very calculated and meticulous about how he wants this encounter to go, and they've already had a couple, you know, false lips on the radar, so to speak, with the Romulans. Are they uncloaking? Are they not? We haven't seen them yet. And, you know, of course, Worf's like, we need to raise shields and arm phasers and all that stuff, and, and Picard says, no, no, we're going to hold. And then Worf just goes into this 
I thought it just came across really silly dialogue. He's like, no, they aren't to be trusted. They have no honor. They killed my parents in an attack on Ketterman. Like, really? This is the time to divulge your entire family history war? It just <laughs> seemed weird. Um, and, and kind of along with that scene, too, Offenhaus gets onto the bridge, and Picard's like, get him off my bridge. And then they... Then they stand there. Back. Yeah, he just stands there. And, and two, two security guys come up, and just kind of barely touch him, <laughs> and he wriggles free with no effort. And then they don't even do anything about it. Like, what the heck? Like, it, it seriously, does... get some command on the bridge. <laughs> it does produce one of the best lines out of Riker, and you could insert it because it's just a great line. You're out of line, Mister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, just so perfect. <laughs> but yes, those are my best and worst. Continuing my theory that Riker in the first season is less a first officer of a starship and more a principal of a middle school in space. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> You're out of line, mister. Uh, Paul, how about you? Best and worst? Yeah. Um, this is a tricky one. Um, I think the, the, the worst has to be just the kind of um, exposition heavy nature of this and kind of the off the off balancing on that a b plot side and it does make more sense knowing now um what she said that this was kind of envisioned as a something that would continue um but as standalone it does come off as kind of uh half thought out ideas on both fronts right that that this there's no reason to tie these two things together um except that the Romulan part of this episode is really only about 10 or 15 minutes worth of stuff. Uh, and that's unfortunate, right? Because there's, there's probably a lot more they could have gone into and they, they don't. Um, and the, the cryonics could have gone on more. It could have been a, an episode, right? It could have been a nice filler episode where, especially early, they used this as um, exposition on the series. This would have made a great pilot or, you know, first, second episode. Um, so uh, that that sort of lack of having anything resolved and lack of having anything sort of um, I don't know it, it, the stakes maybe aren't, aren't the way to put it but it is pretty low stakes um, even with the Romulans there because you know nothing really happens other than they show up and say hey we're back like we're going to be around more often sorry hey we haven't hung out sorry <laughs> I haven't hung out in like 50 years we've been, been like we've been like bad galaxy neighbors it's cool though we'll, we'll definitely hang out soon guys hail me later yeah yeah it's like well okay that sure <laughs> yep. so yep. I don't know it, it just kind of feels all kind of slapped together and and uh, other than the fact that it's like you get to see some Romulans, um, that just feels like such low-hanging fruit to hang a whole episode on. Yeah. Um, or to prop up a whole episode and say, well, this episode is good because of that. Um, I do think it is good, though. The, the strong part is um, kind of what I just mentioned, that, that cryonic side of um, using these people to give exposition on things and to, to world build, right? To... Um, do that in a way where you don't need to have some aliens, but I don't know. It, it's handled sloppily too, which we've talked about with Riker. <laughs> um, Riker's kind of bad here. He's been bad a few episodes, but you're out of line, Mister. I don't know. That's a kind of blend of good and bad, best and worst. But <laughs> that's your mostly that bad, somewhat good, yeah, assessment. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then maybe that's the the big part of it is it's kind of all over the place, and it's hard to track. It's hard to follow. Um, I don't think I've said much this episode because it's just not much to say. Right? <laughs> you have been strangely quiet this episode. Yeah. yeah. It's just not much. Like I said, there's not much meat on that bone. Like it just things happen and yeah. there's not really any subtext. True. Yeah. It feels like two distinct plots that in the writer's room, they tried to find some way to mash them together, but it didn't quite work out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> to counterpoint exactly what was just said, uh, guys, the best is the Romulans are back. Come on, guys. The <laughs> Romulans are back. Like, no? Okay. Um, I, I I guess that is, for me, the best part of this episode, is that there are, there are a few things that work. And I think, actually, I, I would argue that there's more stuff in this episode that works that doesn't. Um, and and I, I just think... 
I think it's an important episode because it establishes the archetype for the modern Romulan, much like it establishes the archetype for the modern uh, Federation and the modern, you know, human lifestyle in the 24th century. So much of everything about the Romulans in Star Trek The Next Generation will come back to, you know, the first instances of seeing them in this episode. And I feel like it's really easy to write this episode off now because we have so many good episodes of The Next Generation that have Romulans in them. Um, Yeah. But to think back about it for someone first going through this series... And first, um, you know, maybe seeing this for the first time when it aired. Um, I think this would be a big thing. I think this would be a big reveal. And for me, I think that still works because it's it's not quite the Star Trek, the next generation that I know, but it's starting to knock on the door, right? It's starting to mm-hmm. it's starting to definitely head towards that direction. The first season is filled with all sorts of weird missteps and weird mischaracterizations of of faces you know new and old and cast members and guest stars and i mean it's just it has a hard time really finding its footing but here i feel like okay there's not a lot that the romulans do but they are romulans and they are romulans as we know them which is they have their own agenda they are very secretive they're very cagey and they're always going to try to let you fall into a trap and the part that i liked the most was and it might have been a little hard to track during the whole like they're there they're not there they're there what's going on with their cloaking but the line that picard has um about when they thought they were decloaking and riker and Worf were both like we have to fire we have to fire right now this is our only opportunity and then it turns out they weren't decloaking, right? And Picard basically lays out the they were testing us to see if we were going to fire. Like that's that is that is a Romulan thing. Like that's such a Romulan move, and that's such a like when I saw that I was like, Yep, typical game of chess with the Romulans. Very nice. So, you know, I, I understand there's there there it's thin in, in a few areas, but it's just so exciting to see a Star Trek the next generation that looks more like the series that I really, really love. Um, so that's. Well, and if you're a if you're a first time viewer, the good news is you now we have the Romulans, and it's going to get way, way better with the Romulans. Yes, there's a lot of good stuff to to come. Um, yep, exactly. Uh, the worst is um, cryonics. Uh, cryonics is stupid. Um, they say cryonics <laughs> is stupid in this episode, and I think the worst is that it actually did work because it wouldn't ever work. That's that's just <laughs> dumb. <laughs> You know, I mean, they go out of their way to say they died before they froze them. And it's like, so how did well, Beverly so, bring them back I mean, to life? Well, so technically that is how it, it does work. If we want to get into some cryotics related trivia. Um, no, I know that. Do... That's why it's stupid. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I get that. I get that you have to die and then be frozen. The dumb thing is that you die and then are frozen. Like, well, uh, uh, the definition of death, right? It's, it's medical death. So, you know, if someone um, has a heart attack, uh, they're, you know, in in certain instances of how you define death, they are dead for a while, and potentially res- uh, they could be uh, hit with a defibrillator or, or CPR or things like that, and yeah. returned to to a living state effectively. De- again, depending on how you define that, so um, it's not too much of a reach to say if someone died um, in hospital care of cancer or something like that or a heart attack or something and they're frozen very quickly um they're still in that window uh which um i mean if you read up on much of it at all i think i listened to a podcast on a, on a while ago but one of the big things that that anybody who will defend chronic says is well it has to happen like super quick right, right. you do you have like one or two minutes after the heart stops um to be frozen so there are very few people frozen uh right now even you know since the 80s when it was a, 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 like alleged to be pretty popular um, because it really only happens if you you know die of old age in a hospital or somewhere and this a company is there with you to freeze you immediately so yeah. Yeah. the story of this woman who you know died unexpectedly and then her husband was like hey, let me see if I could piece something together to freeze you <laughs> like, <laughs> less believable but. yes yeah I just, uh, I don't know. I have a hard time with that one because, um, I don't know. I just think... I, I, I agree with you, but... Yeah, no, I mean, I just, I, I think it's, um, 
It's so strange to have it in an episode of Star Trek. It's so strange to have it in in an episode of Star Trek when they're like, that was a dumb fan that died off. And then literally present three surviving examples of like... Yeah. How it, yeah, no, yeah. guys, it's a thing. Like, it works. I'm like, <laughs> couldn't they have just been in some sort of weird stasis or something? Like, I, or or if there were like five of them in there and they brought all five over and two like died horrible deaths from being frozen, right? And they got three out of it and they're like, well, it doesn't work all the time. Like, you guys got lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Three out of ten patients agree. <laughs> well, and they had some. They had some people that had clearly like that they didn't even bring back, but. Yeah, those were kind of forgettable because they were crispified. Yeah, what I yeah. want to know is how did that thing even get that far out into space? Because they basically said it was supposed to be an orbit around Earth to avoid brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really? Because they were yep. way the heck out of the solar system. Well, they were practically at the Romulan neutral zone, right? Exactly. I mean, that's like that's that's not in just three hundred years. They made it there in three hundred years. Yep. <laughs> Uh, the, that's the part of the episode where you just don't ask questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's some suspension of disbelief on that whole segment. So, so now, given all of that, soapbox, please, on either side, and and uh, indifference from Paul down the middle. Um, how do we vote this one in our watch list? This, the very final episode of season one, is it a uh, up or down? Yes or no? Uh, Ed, what do you say? It hurts a little bit, but yes. Especially with the reveal of the Romulans. Okay. Paul? I'm gonna um, maybe not surprisingly go with Skip. And um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you want me to defend that a little bit, but... So it all comes down to this. <laughs> I, get, uh, I get the swing vote. I get to go yes or no. I... Uh... Come on, guys! It's the Romulans. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I, I. You know, it's not the best, but even, you know, bad Romulan episode is like bad pizza. It's still really good. You know, it's just not it's as barely good. a Romulan episode. It's, uh, but it's still a Romulan episode, and I'll take it after this horror show of a first season. I will take the shining glimmer of hope. <laughs> yes, the Romulans, and that is our discussion about conspiracy. So, if you agree, disagree, let us know. Uh, neutral zone. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the neutral zone. Sorry. Exactly. We had a very similar discussion about conspiracy. You evidently that. liked this episode so much that you couldn't remember it. And that I couldn't yeah, remember the title of it. The title of it. Yes, the neutral zone. So it, that's. It must have been how much you loved conspiracy. I don't want to go there at all. Uh, you don't oh like man. the head explodey scene? <laughs> in this episode, before we get Ed's opinion on that episode. Because... <laughs> so, of course, our podcast listeners have uh, have just heard that episode, but Ed has not yet, because it hasn't debuted yes, when we're recording this. So, um, But that's going to do it. And the next episode that we talk about uh, will be the first episode of the season two. Child. Mm-hmm. Until then, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And uh, <laughs> cryonics is still stupid. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> You're lying, mister. Uh, and thanks, Ed, for joining us very much. My pleasure. All right. We'll see you next time. He used to be a caveman, but now he's a lawyer. Unfrozen caveman lawyer. You're out of line, mister. <laughs> <laughs>